0: Welcome to a summer 2023 reprise episode of Dementia Dialogue. Following upon a new episode on the Ray K Center's efforts to create a more comfortable space for 2SLGBTQ residents, which we released in June, we are featuring two previous episodes on the same theme. We hope that you will enjoy our first reprise. Welcome to another new series on Dementia Dialogue. In which we will follow host Arne Stinchcomb in his exploration of the experience of members of the 2S LGBTQI community with dementia. In this first of four episodes, Arne sketches out some of the issues with doctors Jason Flatt and Ashley Flanagan and Celeste Pang. After listening to Jason and Arne, we will be introduced to Celeste and Ashley who will talk with Arne about their action research project now underway. Let's
1: listen in. Our first guest is Dr. Jason Flatt. Jason is an assistant professor in the Social and Behavioural Health Program at the University of Nevada Las Vegas School of Public Health. Jason is working to better understand the risk and protective factors for Alzheimer's disease and related dementias among LGBTQ2 people has an ongoing uh, research grant from the National Institute on Aging in the USA looking at the epidemiology of Alzheimer's disease and related dementias in sexual and gender minority older adults. Jason, welcome to Dementia Dialogue. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. To start, I'd like to get a sense of what got you interested in dementia among LGBTQ people.
2: Yeah, well, it's a... Sort of, I have, I have a personal connection, not an LGBTQ member, but uh, when I was first in graduate school working on my PhD, my grandmother started having some pretty severe cognitive issues. So she was having issues with like memory and recall, um, right? She would even forget that I had called her recently. So I started getting really interested in that. And it wasn't, I did a lot of service work during my um, PhD training uh, where I was doing a friendly visitor program and I would go meet with an LGBTQ plus senior in their home and spend some time with them and just learn about them. And I got really like interested in how, as a gay man, how could I use some of my experiences and knowledge and research to help the community. So I moved to San Francisco with my husband and that was a really unique opportunity. I wanted to learn more about like the needs of the aging LGBTQ2 community in San Francisco. And so I did some really unique time where I spent like an hour and a half with seniors in San Francisco interviewing them about their life, their health, their concerns with dementia from that work, I just realized there was a huge gap and, and a need to support LGBTQ2 people um, as they get older. And that really is what's been driving me and doing the work since. It's really interesting. Can
1: you tell us a little bit about some of those concerns that you heard from folks during those interviews?
2: Yeah. So a lot of the concerns are were really around either knowing they had a family history, right? So they're like, oh, my mother, or, uh, Uh, sister developed dementia. And so they were concerned, right? Is there some type of hereditary risk for them? The other piece I learned was most of this, I think almost like 90% of the people that I interviewed uh, were living alone, right? So that was a huge concern for them around even end of life planning, but caregiving, like how are they going to, if they did develop dementia, the big concern was like, how am I going to maintain my life? I don't want to go into an institutional setting. That was a big concern. So we were just really trying to, you know, learn about what are some of the strategies they're using and what kind of services in the community might they be able to access. A lot of it was socially oriented Uh, food insecurity is a big issue as well as income right everyone's stretched and and we know that um, Alzheimer's disease is one of the most expensive diseases to manage right and so that was a huge concern as well when I talk about
1: LGBTQ older people in the community they often ask me about risk and are they at an increased Mm -hmm. risk what does the research tell us
2: yeah, so I have some unique research that's coming out. Uh, the first one it was just published today in the Alzheimer's and Dementia Journal. It's uh, focused on subjective cognitive decline in LGBTQ plus people, and so we use data. It's from 2015 through 2018 in the U.S. Uh, The CDC, every year, does an annual survey where they assess sort of population health. And in this, they were asking people that were age 45 and older about their concerns with their memory and thinking. So specifically, they asked people if their memory or thinking was getting worse or they noticed more problems in the past year. And what we found was that LGBTQ uh, people that were 45 plus were more likely to report that they were having problems with their memory and thinking compared to non-LGBTQ people. And what added to that is they also said that the, the memory and thinking problems they were having was also more likely to interfere in their daily lives. So it impacted their ability to, do, to work, to do household tasks, right? But even to go and see other people, and it was much higher. Nearly like 60% of the LGBTQ people with the memory challenges reported that it impacted their daily life compared to less than 50% of the non-LGBTQ.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. So is the thinking then that the subjective cognitive decline is an indicator maybe for future dementia risk?
2: It might be. Yeah. So subjective cognitive decline can be one of the first kind of signs of potential dementia, but it also could be other reasons. Memory can be impacted by things like depression. They could also be impacted if you had like an infection or some kind of health condition, but then also it could be the signs of dementia that are impacting your memory and thinking. So that's why we're concerned. And then even more so is because it's impacting their daily lives more. So that's suggesting perhaps it's more severe.
1: I'm wondering about the available data on uh, the number of folks with dementia who identify as LGBTQ. Do we, do we have a sense of the prevalence of dementia within our communities?
2: Not really. Um, Especially here in the US in the past couple, you know, the past four years, we saw with the administration being led by Republicans, a lot of removal of collection of sexual orientation and gender identity uh, from our national surveys. And then even the surveys that we do have that collect about people's LGBTQ plus identity, they make it optional or some groups can opt to not ask the question So it makes it very difficult for us to um, assess. I'm using data from Northern California. Um, It's Kaiser Permanente health system that provides integrated care and sort of tracks all the types of care and diagnoses that people receive. So we are using that data and following people for nearly 10 years to look at their risk of developing dementia. What we're finding right now, and it's important to realize, Northern California is a very different place than most places in the US. Uh, so a lot of you know better social um, support structures, they're much more focused on helping people and providing resources, um, as well as some of the more progressive political atmosphere in Northern California. So we didn't find among this group really differences in dementia risk. Uh, It was for both around like 10% risk of developing dementia uh, for LGBTQ and non-LGBTQ. But what we did find that was interesting was a younger age of diagnosis for LGB people. So it was nearly uh, two years earlier that they had a diagnosis. So right there showing you there's a potential concern in that people may get a diagnosis of dementia earlier in the LGB community. Um, We need more research to understand, like is this a trend that we would see nationally? One really interesting study that came out was back in 2016 there was a study by christina dragon that looked at um medicare data from the center for medicaid and medicare services here in the us and what they found that was unique was looking at transgender people but when they looked at their medical record data they found more diagnoses of dementia for trans people at around 18% compared to 12% for non-trans people, right? So a 6% increase. That's concerning as well in terms of current trends, but we need more data. That's the big piece that we're advocating for is we have to ask people about their gender identity, their sex assigned at birth, as well as asking about sexual orientation because we know that LGBTQ people face, right, health disparities. They're more likely to experience chronic conditions than many of their non-LGBTQ counterparts. And then we also see a lot of concerns around mental health. And we really have been linking this to the historical and current experiences of discrimination over their lifetime. So that's really why we think that we're seeing these health disparities, which then many of them are risk factors for dementia.
1: When I talk to clinicians and other researchers, sometimes there's some hesitation to ask about sexual orientation and gender identity. Mm-hmm. What would you say to those folks?
2: Well, I think the the big piece is that uh, LGBTQ plus people are not going to be offended if you ask. So that's the first part in order to make care inclusive for everybody, right? It's important that we ask people about their identities, their backgrounds, and and make care inclusive, right? Knowing that if you ask me about my identity and I feel comfortable sharing, there's potential that, right, you're gonna build better rapport and trust with me and then my care experience, but also your ability to meet my needs are going to be improved. We've got to collect it. If you don't ask, then you can't help, right? And you also will likely lose uh, clients or customers because, right, we want to go somewhere where we're valued and respected.
1: Yeah, so I think that respect is such a big thing. Is there anything else that um, you would recommend in terms of how to best support LGBTQ2 persons with dementia and their caregivers?
2: Yeah, well, I think the last piece is really around caregiving. So much like I said, where the community often is isolated, well, this doesn't end when you become a caregiver, right? And even though you're caring for someone else and trying to help coordinate care and keep them in their home and make sure their needs are met, often it can be a really lonely uh, experience and caregivers experience discrimination as well as fear That the person they're caring for will experience discrimination when they go to access services. So we need to do a lot more also to make sure right until we find a cure for dementia. We need to be making sure we're equipping caregivers with the support they need people living with dementia, the support that they need and really changing the way our systems work uh with older people but especially lgbtq plus people this um is just going to become more of an issue as we see the shift in our population getting older and older right and so if we don't have plans in place to help people that are caregiving i i know the alzheimer's association puts out like it's like something like billions of dollars of unpaid care that caregivers provide. And and we know that those burdens lead to health problems for caregivers who might even develop dementia. So we need to uh, really bolster services for caregivers and especially LGBTQ caregivers. Jason, I appreciate you being with us today. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure.
1: Our next guests are working on a research project focused on 2S LGBTQI persons living with dementia and their unpaid carers in Canada. Ashley Flanagan is a research fellow in diversity and aging at the National Institute on Aging in Toronto. Ashley's research focuses on 2S LGBTQI persons uh, and aging with the goal of advancing comprehensive health and wellness policy programs and services for older adults with diverse gender and sexual identities. Celeste Pang is a socio cultural and medical anthropologist and holds a research appointment as a senior research officer, 2S LGBTQI Health, Aging and Housing at Egal Canada. Egal is a uh, leading national organization for 2S LGBTQI people and issues. Celeste's work aims to advance critical conversations about aging, care, disability, and gender and gender nonconformity in later life. I'd like to welcome you both to the podcast. To start, I'm really excited to learn about your research project. But before we get there, I'd like to get a sense of what led to this research project.
3: Absolutely, uh, so this research project was an outgrowth of ongoing research, uh, advocacy, and education work at AgaL Canada focused on 2 LGBTQI aging issues. Um, so it uh, grew out of an interest in how we can better support and build that foundational knowledge about how to better support the communities that we serve. Uh, It is a multi-phase project for which the research is a foundation and to do the research, EGAL partnered with the National Institute on Aging and um, Ashley and myself are leading the research.
1: Can you tell us a little bit more about the project, some of the methods, what you're hoping to find?
4: Our approach to this project is Two phases. The first phase, we uh, recruited folks to participate in focus groups, which happened online. So we had, we ran focus groups with uh, 2SLGBTQI folks living with dementia. And then we had separate and simultaneous focus groups that, with uh, unpaid carers of folks who are 2SLGBTQI and living with dementia. So they didn't necessarily have to be a caregiving or a caring dyad. We had uh, folks who came to the the project who had past caregiving experience um, and also people who are in the thick of it at the moment so we have that the focus groups they wrapped up in the spring uh, in the middle of analysis with those and then coming up we have a consultation event where we're going to bring together the participants from the focus groups and also stakeholders Uh, in dementia care, uh, in 2SLGBTQI aging um, and uh, together into the same space to kind of brainstorm and think of ways uh, that we can take uh, what we found in our focus groups and move it forward um, and what we can do to kind of reach the most people and, and have the most impact that we can.
1: I know you're in the middle of data analysis. Can you share a little bit about what you're hearing from folks? What are some of their concerns or some of their challenges?
3: So one uh, key finding thus far that's come through quite clearly is that um, for carers of 2SLGBTQI, people living with dementia, they come to this care work and engagement um, from various pathways. So we met with people who were caring for siblings, caring for aunts, caring for spouses, as well as people who had been brought into this orbit of care for community members or people who had previously been more distant friends so the importance of community of different forms of queer kinship in supporting uh, people through their journeys with dementia um, is definitely one of the the most striking um, striking findings Mm -hmm. thus far.
4: Mm -hmm. And then in addition to that kind of this orbit of care uh, folks that are kind of immersed in it talked about Uh, It being quite isolating and then talked about the focus groups as this first opportunity that they had to share their experiences and hear about experiences from folks who are also caring uh, with and for 2SLGBTQI, uh, people living with dementia and also talking to someone else who is also walking that journey of living with dementia as someone who is 2SLGBTQI. Um, So having that focus group experience kind of really turned into this really powerful conversation between people um, and the offering of support and what came out of that is kind of this really uh, intense desire for ongoing conversations and whether it's a support group or whether it's uh, organizations kind of take up that call um, and provide these spaces uh, for folks to come together uh, and share. That's kind of outside of whether it's a, a dementia-specific group or a 2s LGBTQ aging group, but having this really uh, intersectional uh, space for people to share.
1: When I talk to folks uh, in the community, sometimes I hear that the perception that dementia is the same for majority folks as it might be for minority folks, like queer people. Well, what do you say to that?
3: I think from the conversations that we had, there are certainly many similarities and also key differences. Um, In one sense, with dementia comes a lot of change for people themselves, for those in their lives. One particularity with 2SLGBTQI uh, communities we have been finding and have each found in prior work are these transformations around and kind of gender expression, also transformations around sexual identity and relationships, even within couples uh, comes home in particular ways. Um, this can be brought to the fore when people are interacting with care systems and worried about whether their relationships will be recognized um, when they're seeking to enter different kinds of you know, dementia support spaces And even their close others, you know, are not recognizing them in the same ways. Um, There is particularity to that that is, I think, distinct than, than say, a heteronormative uh, couple form of of people going through this journey. Yeah, Ashley, is there any other? I think you really nailed
4: it there. Yeah, Um, just that sense of whether it's kind of this feeling of an erasure of a relationship. So we've had folks talk about, and and this is exactly what Celeste just said, but that there's this sense when you're interacting in a support space and people make assumptions about your relationship that try and fit you within to kind of this very heteronormative relationship frame where it's either uh, sister or sibling or parent, or a parental relationship, If there is uh, if there is an age uh, gap in the relationship that kind of erases the the actual relationship uh, in in a way that tries to fit uh, the relationship into this kind of heteronormative space um, that leaves people feeling unseen and unheard and not as supported as as they had hoped, kind of coming into that space.
3: You know, two us LGBTQI folks have by necessity and through creativity, formed many different kinds of relationships over life and have also had to provide care in very challenging circumstances in the past, uh, for example, around HIV. And people are definitely bringing a lot of their expertise, their skills, their lived and embodied knowledge towards uh, what it means and what it can look like to uh, experience dementia rather uh, either as the person themselves or or those around them. So I think there is also not necessarily unique but particular creativity um, and resourcefulness that our, our communities have been sharing with us I'm
1: wondering if there are little pieces of sort of positivity um, that you might be able to kind of bring out of those of those findings that might come to mind right now
3: It's definitely, and I don't know if you would call this a positive, but among some of the participants who are more active in advocacy type initiatives or in sharing knowledge about living with and caring for a person living with dementia, some space of opportunity has been provided to share and to be placed in that position of someone with knowledge with some capacity to mentor, definitely desire to mentor if those spaces aren't open. So my take on that question is, we definitely identified a lot of nodes of potential. uh, But there really needs to be more social and structural support for for these nodes of potential in what occurs uh, to really be tapped into and, and to be supported, you know, for the betterment of, of everyone involved.
1: I'm wondering, based on the research findings and your project today, if you can speak a little bit to um, some of the opportunities uh, for change, either within um, formalized systems of care or informal systems that exist within the community
4: one of the the biggest things that folks were talking about and it it came through time and time again in the focus groups was this idea about long-term care and that people are thinking forward to the future of when they may not be able to support themselves or support um, their loved ones in that relationship and what kind of that um, greater level of assistance will look like, whether it's a long-term care home or whether it's home care or whether it's uh, some sort of assisted living and having conversations about what their needs are around that. And I think that what is coming out of those conversations and moving forward is this need for uh, more education, more advocacy around lived experiences of folks um, who are 2 LGBTQI, um, and on a more broad level um, and and working with folks who are providing care to provide it in a way that is is the most appropriate is the most affirming and and recognizes lived experiences that people are bringing with them into care context, I think is kind of one of the is is a big one that folks were talking about if we're thinking more long term into 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 that care relationship there.
3: Yeah, I would also emphasize that the project is focused specifically on unpaid carers um, on that the end of of Mm -hmm. caregiving. And definitely what came through, not so much in explicit statements, but in what we can interpret and think through as analysts and researchers is the very strong need for greater support for carers in general. Um, Mm -hmm. If this is caregiving leave, if this is more home care support, more support services, perhaps form of respite care, this is certainly not unique to us LGBTQI communities, but it is certainly certainly called for, certainly desired, and there's definitely a need.
1: I'm just wondering if you came across any um, promising resources that exist in Can- in Canada um, or best practices that we might be able to point folks to, should, should they be interested in, in more support?
4: Uh, right now, there seems to be a lot of work being done in this area, That I yeah. think in the future, there will be a lot uh, or a lot more I should say uh, resources out there for folks um, but as it stands right now we didn't find anything that uh, people could turn to in this moment yeah, sure. um, who are living in community there are a number of resources uh, out there and are being developed also for uh, kind of long-term care more more paid more paid supports um, and supporting folks in that way but uh, in terms of kind of that unpaid aspect, not so much yeah. um, at the moment.
3: And definitely this was part of the impetus of this project to begin with was this enormous gap. There seems to be a, an energy and a lot in the works um, in the future, for example, this research will inform some e-modules that we will develop. Um, also along the way, we've been trying very hard as the researchers to make connections that make sense in terms of an end goal, you know, this kind of research with communities who are precariously positioned, who have historically and continue to have very fraught relationships with healthcare systems, with different social institutions, our aim is not to create yet another population to figure out how to intervene in, but to learn what people are seeking and what they need to be supported on terms that are more their own.
1: I want to thank both of you for taking the time to share your work with me and uh, and with our listeners. I've learned a lot, thanks.
3: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thanks to Jason, Celeste and Ashley, and of course, Arm, for scoping out some of the issues in our upcoming episodes. I think it is fair to say that COVID-19 has heightened our collective awareness of how different economic, social, and cultural factors affect a person's health. This awareness is beginning to influence our thinking in various fields, including dementia, such as does life as a 2S LGBTQI person place one at greater risk than being in the dominant community, or are services equally available to them? Since we are interweaving our Arts and 2S LGBTQI series, our next episode will feature co host Cynthia Healing Hummel joining Lisa Loiselle on the subject of dementia and the expressive arts. Please join us. We want to hear from you, our listeners, about how we can improve our podcast, make it more accessible to people, and reach more listeners. To do this, we are hosting three separate focus groups in November. Please consider joining one of them. The groups will be professionally facilitated and will last no longer than an hour. For more information, please write to dementia.dialogue at lakeheadu.ca. We would love to hear from you. Thanks to the Center for Research and Education on Aging and Health at Lakehead University, our institutional partner, and to the Public Health Agency of Canada for its financial support. In September, we are excited to be releasing a new two-part series on the experience of Indigenous communities and dementia, produced with the assistance of the Native Women's Association of Canada. You will hear more from us on this topic as the month approaches. Thank you. My name is David Harvey.